Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't only look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Therefore, he gave up his divine privileges, took on the humble position of a slave, and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honors and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. With no notes. No cheat sheets. She memorized it. My goodness, Trinity, putting me to shame. It's awesome. Well, since it's picnic Sunday, I thought I'd get our stomachs rumbling with a little food analogy to begin. So I got a picture of a nice juicy burger here for you to start. Yeah, see? Already, already. This is good. Now, the thing that you might not be able to tell about this burger by just looking at it is that this is not actually made of hamburger. This is a completely protein, vegetable-based burger called the Impossible Burger. The world is changing, people. The world is changing. A company called Impossible Foods has set themselves a goal of having no meat being eaten in the world by the year 2035. So 16 years from now, no one will be eating meat from any animal. You think, well, that's not going to catch on. Except for the fact that, I think starting this month, Burger King is rolling out the Impossible Whopper. It's obviously catching on a little bit. Little Caesars is testing out on the Impossible Supreme Pizza, using this meatless meat on their pizzas. Now, chasing impossible goals while undeniably challenging, it can also be incredibly fulfilling. This morning, well, we've just heard an impossible goal of our own, thanks to the words in Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Impossible. Like, really, think about the chances of this company actually eliminating all meat production from animals by the year 2035. Like, that's pretty unlikely. Now, think about the likelihood of one person ever having the same attitude as Jesus. Like, that's pretty unlikely too, right? This is an impossible goal, but this passage is packed with impossibility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Impossible. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Impossible. But one of the sure signs that we're on our way to a healthy and fulfilling life of faith is that we are at least attempting the nearly impossible things that we find in this passage. So that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Henry Drummond writes that you will find as you look back on your life that the moments that stand out are the moments when you have done things for others. 
Now, I'm sure that most people, or at least many people in this congregation this morning, have flown on an airplane. And if you have been on an airplane, then you have seen this kind of exercise that happens from time to time, where the the flight attendant will get up there in the aisle, and they will do this thing. Now, if you are on the flight for the first time, you watch every motion. You watch everything. You listen to every word they say. But the more flights that you're on, I mean, once you're on like a half dozen flights, a dozen, 20, 30 flights, you just like zone them out. I've actually, I've been on flights a number of times over the course of my life. I've actually circled back to, now I start watching again because I know no one else is, and I don't want them to feel bad, so I'm just like making eye contact the whole time. I'm like, I care about what you're doing. But one of the things that they say during this demonstration, and they're all the same, is they talk about these oxygen masks, and they pull it, and they pull the little elastic, and it's like, well, that's exciting. And then they say, do, they say put your oxygen mask on first, before you help the person beside you. So maybe you're traveling with a child, his father's got his little girl beside him, and maybe he would think, I should take care of her first, and they say, no, 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 the flight attendant says, take care of yourself first, and then you can help the person beside you. It seems kind of backwards, but that's what they tell us to do. Before we can take care of others, we have to take care of ourselves. And that's not a bad piece of advice for life as a whole. It's a good thing for us to make sure that we're healthy, that that we are challenging ourselves, that we're secure. There's a good thing for us to make sure that we are in a healthy place in life before we go spending our lives on others. There there is some wisdom in that for sure, unless in taking care of ourselves, we somehow forget our fellow passengers. That's when things get in danger. It's a good thing to put your oxygen mask on and then put it on that of your daughter. It's a bad thing if you put it on yourself and then just go into like a crouch position and leave your six-year-old daughter to fend for herself. Not a good thing, right? I only drove home from church without my daughter once. (laughs) Pulled in the driveway, remembered, turned around. It only happened once, right? And I think it's kind of like golf. You get a mulligan, right? Just like, that didn't count. You know, just move on. If it happens a second time, then we've got a conversation to have. But I was thinking about how many other people I have forgotten while looking after my own interests. How many other people have I forgotten? And I think there are a lot of them. Uh, A few examples here for you. So let's say you're driving from point A to point B through the city. You're driving through congested traffic. Who are you thinking about? You're thinking about yourself. I'm like, I have to get from here to there, and all of these other people need to get out of my way. We forget about their interests. All that we're concerned about is our own. Or maybe you're on the telephone with someone and you're, you're trying to get your cable fixed, you're trying to get you know, a good, better plan on your phone deal or something like that, and the person is just giving you the runaround on the phone and you're just harping on them and you're so frustrated with them. You're not concerned about their interests, right? You're just concerned about your own. Or what if I'm in a restaurant and I order a meal and it doesn't exactly come the way I like, I all of a sudden realize this person who's coming to serve me, like they just need to get me what I want. I'm not really thinking about their interests, I'm thinking about my own. What about children? Maybe you're a parent and you have children. You know, there's t- different times in life where, where we think about what do we want in a moment and we, and we just kind of neglect what the children's needs are in that time. And in the face of all of this, the Bible says each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. You see, we have to get our hands dirty with the Bible. We can't just read it and move on. We can't just say, oh, those are nice words that someone wrote. We have to figure out, well, what is this challenging me with? So let's say the customer service person that you're talking to on the phone has a thick accent, and let's say they can't seem to understand what you're asking for. And I know the thought that goes through most of our heads. I'm the customer. It's her job to serve me. 
Well, this is what Paul would say. You're a Christian. It's your job to serve her. It's your job to look out for her interests as well as your own. It's your job to consider her better than yourself. I was thinking about what I want to talk about on a picnic Sunday, and I thought, well, I'm going to steer clear of the controversial ones. We won't talk about money. We won't talk about sex. We'll just talk about putting other people before yourselves. Now I realized I probably should have just stood up here and talked about sex for half an hour. Well, the reason Paul had to write this is that self-interest is the default mode for us humans. So what can we do to avoid getting stuck in these self-serving patterns where we're looking out for our own interests and forgetting the people? all around us. A month or two ago, some of our staff team uh, went to a day conference in Hamilton. We were in this church, and they had um, kind of off to the side, they had these this artistic displays. And I took some pictures of, of a couple of different pictures here. So I noticed one of them, it was like a, a sketch of this guy here, who uh, his name is Johannes Compton, and he, is, uh, he lived in 1792. And then I was looking around, and I saw another photo, and this guy, his name is Sir Adam Etham, and he lived in 1382. And I was looking for the pictures, and I thought, wait a second, you know, he looks a little familiar to me. And then I went back, and I looked at the other guy, and I realized, these guys look a lot alike. I looked at these pictures, I thought, look, they got the same hairstyle, same tonsured hair, they got the same, like, two slightly divided wrinkles on their forehead, the same kind of lines around their eyes, the same long nose, and the same frown on their face, and little bum chin, the same low cheekbones, the same, you know, protruding Adam's apple, and I was like, wait a second, I have discovered a time traveler. These people live 410 years apart, but they're really the same person, it's so obvious. Now, if you're not into wild conspiracies, a more pedestrian explanation is that the artist from 1792 just flat out copied the artist from 1382, right? That's not Johannes Campton, that's Sir Adam Etham. He just drew the same person. He's like, I'm not really a good artist, but I can copy really well. And so I'll just say, this is the guy. And as the saying goes, imitation is the highest form of flattery. It's often considered, uh, the, the book most often considered to be the most popular Christian book outside of the Bible is Thomas Akempis' book, The Imitation of Christ. It's a devotional book that I've read many times over the years. And one of the, the primary theme of this book is that our ultimate concern should be to pattern ourselves after Christ. And the book is just chock full of really practical examples, even though it was written 500 years ago, practical examples of how we can imitate Jesus in our daily lives. As Paul writes in Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I mean, I could just stand up here and read examples of this all morning long, but just for the sake of brevity, I'll read two. Luke chapter 22, verse 27, Jesus asks a question. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves? Is great. He pulls him into his trap, right? Who's better? The person sitting at the table in the restaurant or the waiter coming over to the table? He says, obviously, the person sitting at the table, but I'm the waiter. Oh, gotcha. He's here to serve. John chapter 10, verse 11, another example. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It seems backwards. Erwin McManus writes that the real measure of our power is the freedom and opportunity we create for others. You see, a shepherd is stronger, smarter, and in many ways more important than the sheep. Yet the thing that marks him as a good shepherd is that he lays all of that stuff down for the sake of the sheep. 
Jesus is like, what kind of a shepherd would it be if when the wolf comes, the shepherd like runs away and says, well, whatever. Like, no, the thing that makes a shepherd good is that all of that power and authority and wisdom and all that stuff, that he lays it down to save the sheep. Now, I may be stronger, smarter, wealthier, more educated, more industrious, better connected, more talented, heck, even better looking than the person beside me. But the thing that marks me as a follower of Jesus is that I lay all of this down. None of those other things demonstrate that I'm a follower of Jesus. The thing that demonstrates that I'm a follower of Jesus is that I'm willing to lay down whatever it is that I think makes me better or more important than someone, that I lay it down. Jesus said elsewhere, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the power in that passage is that Jesus did that exact thing. He laid down his life. For his friends. And so this beautiful passage that Trinity read from Philippians tells the story of our shared faith. Jesus' incarnation, his humble obedience, his death on a cross, and eventually his victorious exaltation we read about. But it's not only a story of Jesus, it's supposed to be our story too. That's Paul's point. And Paul wasn't just good with words either, he practiced what he preached. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he would write, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's like, I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not already doing. I am already imitating Jesus in the way that I live. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. Paul reminds us that Jesus' attitude of humility made it possible for him to obey all the way to the cross. And perhaps that's where he loses us. I mean, how much is this living for others going to cost us? Well, when we have the same attitude as Jesus, we stop grasping after power and influence. We make ourselves nothing in order to serve others. We adopt the posture of a servant, and we live in humble obedience to our Heavenly Father's will. But the beauty of embracing this way of life is that as much as it is setting things aside, laying things down, giving things up, it also opens the door to so much more. As Thomas Merton writes, if we were incapable of humility, then we would be incapable of joy, because humility alone can destroy the self-centeredness that makes joy impossible. So on Monday night, a number of us were here in the kitchen at 22 Willow making food, making meals that would be served at St. John's Kitchen, uh, downtown Kitchener, on Tuesday for lunch. Uh, and as I left the church, it was about 9.30, so it was already dark, and I walked out the doors, and I saw this person kind of across the, the parking lot here, right like at the driveway going out to Willow Street, and they're just like running around, and they're like flailing their arms, and they're kicking in the air, and, and I'm looking, I'm like, what is happening here? I didn't see any other person. It's not like they were fighting someone. I was like, what's happening? They weren't like, didn't look like they were joking around. I'm like, what could they possibly be doing? And so I was like, well, whatever. So I got in my car. See, this is before I wrote the sermon. <laughs> I got in my car, and I turn on like the headlights, and I see in front of me a fox. And then I'm like, oh, there's like this fox, and it's like staring at me, and then it like scampers off across the parking lot. And then I see the guy standing over there, so I go over, and it's actually Sergio, the security guy at the church here. And I roll down the window, and I'm like, uh, what's going on? And he's just like, he goes on to tell me that there's this fox um, that has been stealing eggs from a little duck's nest. There's a, 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 ducks have made a nest under one of the bushes out here, and this fox was coming. He said, I saw it with an egg in its mouth, and it took it away, and then it was coming back for more. And I was like, there's no way. He's like, I'm not letting him have the eggs. I'm like, 
Yes. I was like, you're going to be here for a while, though. You know that, right? He's like, yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen his security contract. I don't know what all of his responsibilities are for around here. But I seriously doubt that protecting duck eggs is included, which is what makes his actions so awesome in my mind. Martin Luther once said, a Christian is a most free lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Ah, it's this profound paradox. Service done under compulsion, things that we have to do, well, that can suck the life out of us. But service to others freely given helps us break through our self-centeredness to discover that joy on the other side. Now, before I move on, I've just got a question, and this question goes out to everyone at Trillium. Why does Martin Luther have six fingers? So if anyone knows the answer to this, please come and tell me, because our entire Elevation community is just, we're just confused about this, and we need an answer. So talk to me after, and I'll relay that to the rest of us. Okay, so back on track. Um, There's something about living for others that makes a person just a little bit crazy, that makes a person dance around in a parking lot to protect something that's not really even their responsibility to protect, but crazy in the best possible way. I mean, at least this man cared enough to play the fool. At least he cared enough. And as I was thinking about that and watching him kind of, the shadow of him dancing around in the parking lot trying to scare this fox away, I was reminded of this great story in 2 Samuel where King David had just led his, the Israelite army out to recapture the Ark of the Covenant. And they're bringing it back into their town and, and he's just dancing. He's so excited. And the Bible says that David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. The other thing it says is that he was only basically wearing his underwear. He's wearing a linen ephod. So he's dancing out there, making a fool of himself. And his wife is up in this tower looking down. And when she finally goes, gets face to face with him, she says, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked as any vulgar fellow would. And David's response is the best. I mean, the dancing in the street is exciting, but his response is even better. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. And the only way to become more undignified than dancing around half naked, well, you know. So he is just like ready to go all in because he's celebrating this amazing thing that has happened. He was willing to be a fool for God's honor. Back to the New Testament, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 3.18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. There's this kind of backwards wisdom that Paul reflects for us here. You want to be wise? Then be a fool. Setting aside selfish ambition, considering others better than ourselves, looking out for the interests of others, all of this amounts to foolishness by the standards of our age. The Philippians reminds us that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The Son of God confined to human flesh. That's stooping low. So how far are we willing to go for the people around us? How low will we stoop? I think it's important to mention at this juncture that Paul says it's in humility that we should consider others better than ourselves. It's not out of an inferiority complex. It's not as an act of self-deprecation where we neglect our own lives and just focus on other people. That can actually be really unhealthy if we're not careful. But it's a stooping in order to serve, a humbling in order to help, If you put others before yourselves in a way that neglects your own well-being, then you're missing the point of what Paul's challenging us here. 
But maybe instead of asking how much we're willing to do, a better question would be how little are we willing to do? And this isn't to avoid the big sacrifices or the, the real challenges, but it's a way to ensure that we're at least doing something for others. So we don't have to leave here and saying, well, I will do the impossible this afternoon. But maybe we go out and do a, like a tiny fraction of the impossible. And as Teresa of Avila said, strength arising from obedience has a way of simplifying things which seem impossible. If it seems impossible for us to have the same attitude as Jesus, we'll try just having a little bit of his attitude. And if we just have a little bit of his attitude the next day and the day after that, then, then maybe eventually we'll get a little closer to that impossible goal. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to take a quick peek beyond the end of this morning's reading to see if there's anything significant there. And this is typically a good idea. Whenever we pull just a little passage out of the Bible, it's always a good idea to say, well, what was going on just before that and just after that? It'll help us make sure that we're not taking things terribly out of context. And so I took a little screenshot of the page in my Bible here. And so you see at the top, every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's where Trinity wrapped up our reading. And then there's a little break. There's a chapter heading that someone put in there. So it says, shining as stars. But there's this word, therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore, you've got to ask the question, what is it there for? Right? Why did they break the paragraph there? This next couple verses should clearly be included in what we heard read for us this morning. So Paul is talking about this fact that there's a significant challenge. We have to have this, chase after this impossible goal of having the same attitude as Jesus. We've got to chase after this, all of this stuff. Look at all the things that Jesus was willing to do and what God did in and through him. Therefore, so keeping all of this in mind, everything we've talked about, therefore, my dear friends, as, you've always, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The salvation of ours, however we understand it, is a work in progress. It's not something that we acquire once, and then set up on our mantle as a conversation piece. Rather, our salvation is something we need to work out. And then the really good news is that it's not something we work out on our own. Rather, we discover that it is God who works in us so that we can become the people we're created to be. And so the reason this part is important is that we can read the first part of Philippians 2 and say, man, that's just impossible. And Paul is saying, just continue to work it out in fear and trembling one day at a time, and remember that actually it's not really you working it out, it's God working it out in you. Thomas Merton said, we do not become fully human until we give ourselves to each other in love. And so that's our goal. That's our challenge. That's what we're shooting for. And while church is as good a place as any for us to practice living for others, today we have a great opportunity to be one in spirit and purpose with those that we share this beautiful building with. So, out at the picnic today, pay attention to the people around you. Branch out a little. Eat together. Maybe even clean up together. I'll pass it on to Pastor Annette to close us off. Let's pray as we go. Lord, may we experience your presence throughout the week, recognizing where you are at work, responding to the promptings of your spirit, Give us the wisdom and strength to live the way you've created us to live, reflecting your love for the people and the world around us. 
through our actions and our words, may you draw others to journey with us in faith. Send us out today in peace. Amen.